Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Is. Hi, Em. How you doing over there? I'm doing great. I cannot wait to get into Beverly Hills. I'm going to first. This may be the most highly anticipated episode we've had in a long time. Yeah, no, this was some next level shit. This is like kind of what separates the men from the boys. Oh, this is like, if I was going to show someone a good episode of Housewives, I would pick this one for sure up there. Yes, absolutely. I also wanted to mention before we get started, I know this is really sad, but I'm sure you guys saw that Greg Leakes has passed away at 66. And I just, I just, my heart breaks for Nini and the whole family. And I know, of course, we don't know him personally, but you really feel like you know these people after watching them on your screens for so long. And it was just really sad news to see. So sad, especially everyone posting all the clips. Like when you see how really big of a part of the show and Nini's life, and we got to see them get remarried again on a spinoff, I just, it, you're right, I felt like I knew him. So I just felt so awful. And the tributes to him were really beautiful. Totally. Did you also see that Housewives All-Stars is apparently being called Ultimate Girls Trip? Yes, they released the cast photo, which is like nothing to write home about. It's just them looking beautiful. But I love this title and it changes the whole tune because I always thought, I don't know who came up with All-Stars. I think that was honestly a fan-created name. But it's not about All-Stars. It's not about who's the best Housewives. It's about putting together a girls trip of housewives and seeing what happens. And this will just create such a great base that now they can keep doing it with all different concoctions of women. It feels like a dream that I never thought would happen and it actually is coming soon. So I have to just like hold my excitement for a little bit longer. I think the reason that I'm really into the idea is because it's almost like low stakes drama. You know, they're there for such a limited amount of time. Most of the women don't have these extensive backgrounds with one another. So the drama can't be that high stakes. So we can kind of just enjoy it almost without much analysis needed. 
Yeah, and I just really can't wait to see how they interact without that history and comfortability there where they haven't fought with these women. They don't know how they fight. They don't know what makes them tick and they're not necessarily friends. So what does that look like and how will all of their personalities that we know so well in their own cities kind of change and come out in a whole different setting? And they're not playing the long game. You know, there's right. not that. Think about some housewives that are so calculated because they know that it's going to do them really well at the reunion. Like they don't have that luxury here. So you have a short amount of time to just go all out. I can't even wait. Okay. Has the time come for Beverly Hills? I thought you would never ask. Well, I should start by saying if you've been listening to this podcast, I'm sure you've picked up this pattern that we also have picked up on, which is that right after we drop our episode, Normally within a few hours, something major happens that obviously we cannot include. And this week, it was the never before aired scene of Sutton at Dorit's house. So we cannot get into this without starting with that. This is maybe the most important part of the story that everyone is just missing and not bringing up again. And it's crucial to the storyline and everything that's going on. I can't believe that this is not more of a conversation and that if it had come up at the reunion, we'd be like, what the fuck? How do we not know this? So the fact we're seeing the scene with our very own eyes mid-season is just crazy. Well, the thing is, Bravo does this with all franchises. They drop these, quote, never before scenes. And a lot of the times you can understand why it wasn't in the episode because it's not really additive. Whereas this is the kind of thing where, honestly, if I was Sutton, I'd be really pissed. It's kind of like taking away my reasoning or my ammunition. And what I kept thinking is if everybody was so on board with Sutton before even seeing this? Imagine after seeing this. Yeah, let's tell everyone what happened and then I have a lot of thoughts about it. Okay, so it was a clip from when they were at Dorit's house and in it, Sutton says verbatim, during my divorce, I was in a position where I wasn't getting money. My attorney said to me, you need to have someone ready to give you money if you need it. And Kyle kind of clarifies asking her, you know, do you mean have someone lend you money? And she says, yes. And I offered that to Erica. And in her confessional, she says, I offered Erica a loan while going through the divorce. Like, if you need anything financially, I've got your back. If you have a fall, you've got a mattress to land on. But I think she said thank you, and that was it. And then she says, I think if Erica had said, yeah, I need $20 million, that's not funny. It would have put me in a very bad jam. And then, in the same clip, Rinna at Dorit's house says, I asked her, how did you get money to get out? And she said, I can't talk about that right now. End scene. Okay. I just don't even know where to begin with this because, yes, without this, I believe all of Sutton's questions and arguments and her whole stance are completely valid, and I agree with them. So then when you add in the fact that she offered Erica financial assistance before knowing any of this dirtiness going on behind the scenes, it actually gives her a reason to care about all of these things that are coming out. And it really does make it about her or that it could potentially involve her. This is not just about her reputation and having her name in the articles. It's no, I offered her money. And now what could that mean for me? What I don't understand is why she hasn't said that again, why she hasn't said to Erica, listen, it is about reputation and what people think about me, but I also offered you a financial loan And if there's fraud involved, could I be dragged into this even more deeply than I already am on like the gossip websites? I genuinely think this was one of the most important anecdotes of the entire season. I'm I'm floored that this was not included. I just don't really get why not. Because if they thought it would become a big thing, 
it would have to be included. Like if it comes up again, it would have to be included. So maybe it was sort of a throwaway comment. Maybe Sutton didn't really like sit down with her and say, okay, here's the deal. If you need money, I will help you in this way or this way. She said more in like a friendship way, like, listen, I'm here for you. If you need money, I know that happened to me. And Erica said, thank you. And it was over. From Erica's perspective, because she's not really like listening to anybody or taking anything they say seriously or alluding in any way that anything is really actually like quote wrong or that she did anything wrong. Maybe she just blocked out what Sutton said or never took it seriously or never wanted to bring it up again. But the whole thing is just so crazy. And then when you are going back and thinking about that and seeing what has happened, it really just makes a lot more sense. Sutton didn't then say in this confessional, I offered her money, therefore I'm also worried about how I could be affected legally. So maybe it wasn't a question for her either, but it feels like it had to have been. Well, that's kind of my thought is that are we as the viewers making it into a bigger deal than she thought it was? Meaning it's definitely something that's on her mind, but it's not the reason that she called the meeting or like she doesn't think it's as big of a deal as we do. I just think it can only help her case. Although, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I actually think it's very probable that she never said it to Erica in a public setting, meaning like, you know, she didn't say it at Kathy's dinner party and and it just got cut out because I almost feel like that's the kind of thing she wouldn't do in front of the group. I don't know. I can't fully explain my reasoning there. I know she told them separately, but there's almost a part of me that feels as though Sutton would find that classless to do. Right. I think there has to be some other element here. And I hope that this is something brought up at the reunion because it seems like a key detail just from where we're sitting. Maybe it's not. Maybe we are, like you said, looking into it too much or just trying to find answers. But from what everyone else was saying, I didn't feel like I was overreacting. And this felt like something that really would have added context to Sutton's perspective and where she's coming from and also what has gone down pre them learning all this information. Like Sutton reading these articles for the first time and thinking, oh, wow, I really got into it with her to the point where I offered her money, it totally changes the narrative. Totally. And two other things. Remember last week when I like randomly got nostalgic for a second about their old friendship? Yes. And you were like, well, yeah, that ship has sailed. It's This kind of goes to show me that what we thought about them getting like close with one another was actually, you don't just offer somebody money, a real offer. I don't think that she was bullshit. I think that if Erica came back to her and said, listen, I need a hundred grand, I think she would have given that to her in one moment. So to me, that was a sign of the level of closeness they had before. Oh, completely. She wasn't just offering that to anyone. I think she felt like, okay, I've been through a divorce where there's a lot of money involved, but that doesn't necessarily mean you get a lot of money. You know, she knows the logistics and she wouldn't just offer that to anyone. She saw someone like that scene we saw of the two of them in a similar position that she could relate to and she wanted to help her. Right. And we'll get into this. Like we can start the actual episode now. But the other thing that it made me think is like, if I'm Sutton, I would be so additionally hurt at the way that Erica was treating me knowing that that had happened. It's kind of like, listen, I was there for you. I showed you what a lot could consider as like the ultimate act of friendship and support. And it's only until recently when more information that has come out that I've changed my tune. It's not like, you know, Erica is almost making it as though Sutton had it out for her from the beginning. Sutton's energy only changed once information that she felt really uncomfortable by came to the surface. 
Right. That's the thing. She started out this whole journey being sympathetic, offering her money, not just saying, oh, here's a shoulder to cry on and I've been there. Bringing her to the spa, bringing her a gift basket and offering her money. Like, Forget the candles or whatever she got her. We thought that was nice enough before. But to actually get the nitty gritty of like, I will give you money if you are in need of a place to land, like that is so nice and actually shows off camera her support for her. So then for Erica to all of a sudden get so defensive once Sutton does, which probably caught Erica off guard given where they were versus what happened, it adds so many layers and new things. I just, it really threw me off. I know it may seem really small, but I will be very curious to see if at any point throughout the season in a confessional, Erica acknowledges this. Like if production asks her, did Sutton say this? Or if she ever talks about it, because I could be so off, but the way that I would envision it is that Erica does not want that to come out. And at this moment has no idea that Sutton told that to the group. Right. Like I think Erica, I don't want to say she'd be embarrassed by it, but I think it just goes directly against her narrative, which is that Sutton's out to get her. Sutton's not out to get her. Sutton's just trying to protect herself. Sutton's out to protect herself, but I think Erica is just too deep in this and so defensive and then on top of it is on camera and it feels like everyone is ganging up on her. She can't see past it. Maybe in five years when she watches this back, I would hope she would be able to see, but I just think right now she is too deep in and her head is underwater that there's no way she'd be ever able to understand. Right. Completely. Okay. So in terms of the first real scene here, obviously it's Kyle and Sutton at Sutton's new house. And this to me is really the material for the later blowout at Kathy Hilton's house, because all of the things that Sutton is saying to Kyle here is what Kyle then brings up later. So, you know, she says, Erica's acting like she's totally innocent. Emphasis on the word acting, you know, saying she thinks the divorce could be a sham. Basically saying, and she says this verbatim, I realize now that she's not as fragile as I had originally thought, which It's a small sentence, but it's kind of a big statement. And she makes it clear that up until now, you know, she's kind of been going easy on her, but she is ready to go. And she's had her kid gloves on is what she says. What I think is interesting is when you watch this conversation, in a way, it seems like they're sort of aligned. I think Kyle is not as passionate or angry as Sutton seems to be, but She's like, yeah, you know, you should do that. It's fine. Like, they just seem a little bit more on the same page. It it is Sutton venting to Kyle about how she feels and not necessarily that they're in the same place, but they just feel like they're vibing. So then what goes down later is like, oh my God, what just happened? Were they not in the same room? And uh, there's just, there's so many like layers to it because I felt like they were agreeing in the moment and then Sutton's quote performance at the dinner was not enough for Kyle and Kyle felt some reason that she needed to stick up and say this is not what you told me in my house. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that later on, but my general overarching statement is that I don't think either of them handled it well at the dinner. I don't know if anyone handled it well or if they all handled it well, but it was definitely the dinner party from hell part 2. I was very nervous about that title because I feel like how can there be another dinner party from hell ever in history? Like what could be worthy of that name? And I got to say, I think this was deserving. No, it totally was. I mean, ev- well, you know, we'll get into it. I will I will save my thoughts. I have so much to say. Me too. I'm like freaking out. Okay. We got to go to Crystal's house now. And interesting crew, by the way, Garcelle, Erica, Kathy, and Crystal. 
interesting crew. It takes me a moment to remember the dynamics when they're not all together. Listen, I obviously have been watching Housewives for years. I'm not above them talking shit about one another. I typically love it. There was something about the way that this was done that I just really didn't appreciate when it came to the shit talking of Sutton. And I think there's two things about it. One was the reasons that they were using felt really superficial and kind of catty to me and a little bit elitist. And then second to that, I didn't like that they were doing it in front of Garcelle to a point where it almost felt disrespectful. It felt disrespectful and I feel like they had a false sense of security. When you're in a smaller group, it sort of feels like it's free reign to talk about anyone who's not there and that you're all vibing, you're all on the same page and that they were forgetting sort of where everyone's alliances are. And I just felt like maybe because Erica, Crystal, and Kathy have sort of been on the same page throughout things, they just felt comfortable to sort of talk about it as if everyone agreed. And Garcelle was a little bit kind of quiet. People were saying, why didn't she stick up for Sutton more? But I just don't think it was necessary. They were just voicing their opinions and it wasn't going to change anything. And all it would have done was create more tension between Garcelle and the rest of the group that was sitting there. Well, she wasn't feeding into it and she kind of did defend her in her own way. She was, you know, explaining what she views to be the reasoning for her behavior. I didn't think that Garcelle was going along with it by any means. I just felt like if I were her, I would have felt really uncomfortable. And she said that in her confessional. She's like, why are they saying that in front of me? And it made me think of, you know, that famous saying that's like, don't tell me what somebody said about me. Tell me why they were so comfortable to say it to you, you know? Yeah. That's what I felt. Like if I'm Garcelle, I'm thinking, would Sutton be upset with me that this conversation was even taking place in front of me, which may be going more steps than necessary, but I I don't know. I just got such a gross feeling from this whole thing. Yeah. And like, how did the conversation go on for that long while you're sitting there? Yeah. I think, I think Sutton loves Garcelle enough and knows she's a good friend that she would see why she didn't get involved. But yeah, the whole thing was, was not great, but it did sort of set the scene for where everyone stands going into this dinner, which was an important thing to know. One anecdote that we have to just talk about is when they're discussing the country club and, you know, a few of them make the comment about how they didn't know who Sutton was as if that were the ultimate insult. Like as if that is absolutely the worst thing you could say about somebody second to their leather pants being ugly, you know? Wait, this whole thing was terrible but also so realistic i guess like this is very much beverly hills elite perspective personality like this is really realistic in a way and it's almost like old school energy like who is adrian maloof in this world you know like i i hated it for so many reasons but i also appreciated them having an honest conversation because i think they were at the point where they just really wanted to shit on her so bad that they were saying what they're actually thinking like those are the kind of things i feel like they would say off camera so to hear them say it off camera was like whoa okay we're really gonna go there well that's why i had to check myself because at first i was like this is really gross and then i was like wait a second if the entire thing that we preach is like, say what you would say off camera, then I have to at least appreciate it. Cause if it was nothing, if not authentic. Right. Exactly. So we have to take that no matter what it is. Right. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. 
And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. One thing about Kathy Hilton, she knows how to plan a motherfucking dinner. I could probably sit on this podcast for the full hour and a half and just talk about Kathy planning the dinner, the actual like setup of the dinner, the Baccarat gifts, her butler, the food being served, the caviar pie and the vodka and the lamb chops and her house. I mean, this is literally what I live for. And this right here is exactly what we needed because this is what makes it the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So to have the most drama-filled dinner with the backdrop that we're at the Hilton's mansion with her butlers getting involved and Rinna is ringing the bell and there's caviar. Like I was just in literally like Dorit said, we've left Beverly Hills and we've entered the gates of heaven. (laughs) I was about to quote Dorit. I know. And the other thing I kept thinking about is like so many iconic and really I would go as far as to say historic events have happened in the Hilton residence, so many that we don't even know about. And so I just kept in my mind thinking like this dining room has been the exact spot for a lot of very cool things that have preceded it. Oh, the people, what those walls have seen, if they could talk, I I can't even imagine. And Kathy posted the funniest photo of her son, Baron, and his wife, Tessa, on the like landing of the balcony, listening in on the dinner party. And I think on Paris's podcast, they spoke about that all they heard was like yelling. And imagine just like when your parents have people over and you don't want to go downstairs or when you're younger and you like listen in from your bedroom, but it's this and this dinner. Are you kidding me? I can't even, I, I just have no words for that. It's something that I can't even try to comprehend. And second of all, Patrick did not know what he was walking into. Like nothing could have prepared him. This sweet little soul, as Kathy said, he was just trying to serve the rack of lamb. And I mean, all hell was breaking loose in front of his very eyes. He is funny. He is a good character. Like I need him and Patricia's butler, Michael, to like have a spinoff series. I don't even know. Like they need to train all of the butlers of America. (laughs) Honestly, yes. Okay, like who should we talk to about that? So this is when Sutton sits down, Erica's at the table, and she starts with, we should chit-chat. I want to make sure that you're okay. I mean, listen, (laughs) Erica's response to this, the one thing I will give her is that it did set the scene. She did not change her vibe the entire time. The lack of interest she had to engage with Sutton stayed consistent, if not continued to rise. 
Right. Like she wasn't trying to put on a happy face or say, sure, like, yeah, we'll maybe talk later or sugarcoat it. No, no, no. She was coming in strong. Like she didn't say hi to Sutton. She was very stoic. And I just thought it was so interesting also that they were seated next to each other. Like what would the conversation all night have looked like if they were across the table or would that have changed anything? But Erica from the get-go, you can tell, does not want to get into it, but also really wants to get into it. I want to touch on the seating for a second though, because I was really going back and forth on this in my mind. And the conclusion that I came to, so I want to know what you think, what you guys think is, I think I would have preferred them across from one another or even like a little bit diagonal because it made me feel as though since they were so close, I almost felt like it didn't get to the level that it could have gotten to, which I know sounds crazy because it got so intense, but it didn't allow for any kind of personal space. So I almost felt like Sutton couldn't find her voice in the way that she maybe would have been able to if there was a table separating them. Right. Like there's something about being that close to someone where you can literally feel their breath as you're speaking and saying these things that maybe change just the whole vibe. I I do think that plays really an important role. And I'm curious if production has a real say in the seating chart or if it's literally just Kathy waltzing around her little table, putting the place cards and saying, oh, this should be good, you know, whatever. Well, the reason that I don't think production would have necessarily done that is because think about historically, they put the two people right across from one another normally. Right. I was really grateful for Kathy in the moment when Dorit tries to start it up with Garcelle again, not in a negative way, but kind of, you know, playfully mock herself with, I don't want to hijack the conversation thing. And Kathy immediately came in and was like, not now. I know later on in her confessional, she says she should have let Dorit talk. I honestly could not have dealt with that. It just felt so not important, I guess, after everything else that goes down. It's like, okay, I would much have rather focused our attention on Erica and Sutton than Dorit and Garcelle, which I feel like they're able to get over. It wasn't as big of a deal and it didn't need the energy of the night. But I couldn't help but be a little annoyed with Kathy, I guess. Like, you know, she really shuts down Dorit and I get it. Dorit is like, just so easy to shut down because like they say, she goes on for a long time and she didn't want that to take up her whole beautiful evening. It's very ironic that, you know, the evening went the way it did, even though she tried to shut that down. But it was a little bit annoying in the way that it was like, okay, well, that's kind of what we're here for. You know, like I almost felt like Kathy, come on, don't you like, it's like she forgot she's on the show. That's really what I think happens is like, she forgets she's on the show. And this is just in what she would do in real life if she wanted her dinner party to go nicely. Yeah. No, I hear that. I I really do. And like, it definitely contributes normally to the show. It's just that as the viewer, like forget about anything else. I just didn't care what Dorit had to say because I was so over it. Like we all know that between the two of them, she lost last week. Like there was such a clear winner that we didn't need to rehash it. Right. No, she definitely did us all a favor, but I can imagine in that moment, Dorit was probably not happy. Yeah, but you know, she will never say a word to Kathy. I think she, I don't know if it's that she's afraid of her or it's just that she respects her so much, but she wants to be in Kathy's good graces to the point where she will take a lot of what I think other people would interpret as disrespect or potentially being condescending. I honestly think that's true for all of them. It's just something about Kathy and her, maybe it's her wealth, her status, and just the way that she is. Like they sort of let anything slide. She's definitely in a different power position in the group. Yeah, but come on, Dorit the most out of anyone. Yes, Dorit the most out of anyone. And Crystal the least. Yeah, probably Crystal the least. Honestly, probably less than Kyle, which is interesting. Very interesting. I would say that the three least are Crystal, Kyle, and Garcelle. 
Crystal, Kyle, and Garcelle. Yeah, that's fair. The only word that I think accurately can describe this scene is that it was absolutely chilling. It was chilling. It was a little bit chaotic. And I highly recommend watching it more than once because every time I've watched it, I've picked up something else because they say so much and there's so much body language and looks and they're talking over each other that it's really just, it's almost like a masterpiece, if I'm being honest, of a housewife scene. Oh yeah, this is the kind of thing where you need a transcript almost to fully understand what's going on. Yep, and we have a transcript. We do. I mean, we're not going to read it all. Full disclosure for you guys, like we were talking about this ahead of time and we were like, how are we going to do this scene in a way where it's not just recapping everything and we can try to do it (laughs) relatively coherently? It's just not that easy, so just bear with us because there's a lot of moving parts here. Yeah. I think the way that we split it up is like, let's start out with the initial interaction, which is really just between Sutton and Erica, because then you can kind of break it off into Dorit's involvement, Garcelle's involvement, and then the real end, which is Kyle kind of coming for Sutton and how that impacts the entire dynamic. Yeah, because at first I really thought this would just be between Erica and Sutton and that it would be their back and forth and everyone would maybe get involved, but the real core of the issue was between them. But it really did break off into its own individual things between Erica and Dorit and between Kyle and Sutton and Erica sort of using Kyle as a crutch and seeing that maybe she did have an ally in her. So the dynamics were really interesting. And then how Garcelle fits into it and then how Rinna is backing up Erica in a very subtle way. I wouldn't say it was very forward, but just overall, the fact that every person was involved just made it that much more interesting than just watching Sutton and Erica go back and forth all night long. Well, one quick note on Rinna. In a situation like this, or really any situation, Rinna's silence is deafening, meaning that her not jumping in is the biggest support of Erica she could ever do. I never expected that she was going to stand there and like outwardly support her, but her not saying anything and being this relatively uninvolved for a scene to me is the biggest signal of her support for Erica. Right. I think in the end, Erica supports that, but there were definitely moments where she, I think, felt like she was swimming in the ocean all alone and nobody was there to help her. And she maybe was waiting for Rena to chime in, but in the end, it probably served better that she didn't. Yeah. I mean, I think a really good way to start this is you remember last week at Crystal's house when I think you described the Sutton-Erica interaction kind of as a drive-by shooting? Yes. And Erica's general energy was like Sutton could breathe wrong and she would fucking lose it. Yep. What's What's really interesting to me, and I don't know the exact timeline here of how long it was from the Rinna Beauty lunch until this dinner, but it was as if nothing had changed in Erica's mind. Like the level of frustration and general, I don't want to say hatred, but upset she had towards Sutton was the exact same, if not more, from last week. Like there was no cooling off period. And that's what made this so intense from the jump. Right. Like she almost kept the same consistent energy from the luncheon to this dinner, like without a moment of breathing or making it seem a little bit more settled down. It was like as soon as Sutton even looked in her direction and began to speak, she knew exactly what she was going to say. Her energy was at an 100. She was pissed off. And it was just, you're right, it was like the lunch, except this was like a longer death almost. It was just as bad, but it was less quick. We almost expected it a little bit more. And also it was stretched out so much longer. Their conversation at the luncheon was two minutes max. And then we went right back to Garcella Dorit. Whereas here, this really, we got into it way more than we ever thought. 
Yeah. And the thing with them is they're just so different in the way that they handle things. Aside from like the actual content, which we'll get into, I almost feel a similar way to what we were just talking about when they were at Crystal's house and we were like, we hated what they were saying about Sutton, but also like, how can we be mad that they're being authentic? That's all we ask. Like I had a similar energy here of like, I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me, but the way that Erica was talking to Sutton, even though it made for great television was just so rude. Like, I understand that you're upset and I understand that you feel really betrayed, but she's not like lesser than you. I don't, I don't, I don't know where you get off thinking that you can speak to anybody like this. No. And of course I gave it to her. She's pissed off. She's in a terrible place in her life. I fully understand all of that, but her tone and her attitude is not in any sort of place to even want to figure things out with someone. Like she is not giving anything. She is mad and hates Sutton, really. That's the energy I feel. And there was no wiggle room for any type of conversation. It was done. She had decided how she felt and that definitely wasn't going to change. And we've seen this side come out of Erica in moments, you know, in Tokyo with Eileen Davidson. You know, she's freaked out when Teddy called her a liar. Like, we've seen this vibe from Erica, but in very small, short, kind of snippets. And she's always come back kind of and said, I lost my cool. So to see it in such a longer form and for her to stay consistent with this energy is really, I know we keep saying chilling, but that's really what it is. And if anyone thought she was cold and stoic before when she wasn't acting like this, imagine now what they're saying about her. What I wanted to happen in this scene is I almost wish everything could pause and be like, Dorit, this right here is what we call a bully. <laughs> this yes. is an appropriate word. And like just to show her how out of line she was last week, because it was it was as if she was just coming in as a bulldozer. And listen, I get that she's pissed. Like this is the worst thing ever. I'm sure the last thing she's concerned about is her tone. It's just that to me, I think what's what didn't sit right with me is that it didn't just feel like reactive. It wasn't like, I'm just so pissed that I'm speaking like this. To me, it felt intentionally intimidating. Like her kind of strategy here was that she was going to intimidate Sutton into silence. And that's what I think I'm not responding well to if I try to survey my feelings. I also feel like it felt very thought out and it wasn't just an in-the-moment reaction. She's been letting this boil and she's been thinking about how she's going to face off with Sutton and what she wants to say to her and what she wants Sutton to feel from her, which is like less than and so bad and like a disgusting, terrible person and like kind of bullied and that, you know, she could feel the anger from her. And if that's what she set out to do, she definitely achieved it. She definitely did. The one thing that I... I know we both felt was important to read, which is why you both did it. It's just this one next part, literally 30 seconds, when Sutton says, I'm very proud of what Christian and I built together. We built it from the ground up, no money. Even though I'm divorced, this is still a life that I built for myself. Erica, how does my life impact that? Sutton, I thought it was going to, and it didn't. Erica, you didn't have to go out and get panicked about something that doesn't even affect you. My life, what I'm going through, doesn't affect you in any single drop of your life. And then this is the very important moment when it shifts to part two of the way that we're breaking this up, to Dorit coming in basically saying, Erica, I love you, I support you, but I don't agree with that. And so important, in Dorit's confessional here, this is the first time the word subpoena is mentioned, which I feel like was something that as the public, we were all, I don't know, getting a little bit frustrated that none of the women would just say, listen, we're a little concerned that we're going to get subpoenaed and we want to kind of cover our asses. So Dorit said that. She didn't say it to Erica, but she said it in her confessional and it can't be ignored. It can't be ignored. And it was also 
I felt like it was necessary to say in this moment because what Dorit and Garcelle are doing in this dinner is giving Eric a reality check. This is not Sutton just trying to come after you and make up things. These are human normal reactions and I might feel insensitive to you at the moment, but it's just how we feel. And it's not fair to say that this has nothing to do with us when in reality, it might, it might. It might, it could, you don't know what's going to happen and you're not paying attention to what's going on with us and only yourself and we are already getting a little bit involved. So I feel like it was important for them to kind of give her this back to reality humbling of like, no, when you keep saying that, as much as you say it, it doesn't make it true. It really reminds me of what you said earlier about Kathy Hilton forgetting that they were on a show. I almost felt that with Erica here of like, she wants these women to support her as if she would want her real life non-filmed friends to support her, which I do understand, but like that ship has sailed. Like they no longer can support you in that same way once there is that natural association and once the cameras are on. And so like, I I know you don't want anything to surround it with any amount of questioning or talking or gossip, but like that is only going to be heightened when you're on a reality show. And it's almost as if she expected them to operate in a way that to me was just inconsistent with reality. You're right. Like it was a reality check and she was not ready for it, which I do understand. But to be so mean spirited in the way that you speak to people, it's just a really unkind look. I also thought Sutton bringing up her ex-husband and this whole life they built and the fact that they built it authentically and that she still has the money and it's still her life and that she's proud of it. It was almost a jab. I don't think she meant it to be because her point was that she still cares about this life and this person she is and she has a reputation to uphold. But also in telling the story, mentioning that she had this somewhat amicable divorce and that their money was all made legally and that they had built this life from nothing. Like I just felt that that was also a backhanded kind of slap to Erica of like that is clearly not what's going on with you. Oh yeah. Even when she says something about like, I'm not ashamed of my small town roots, meaning like you came in and you married the big shot lawyer and look how that ended up for you. It was, it wasn't, I, I, truly believe that it was not intentionally backhanded. However, it kind of came across like that, but in a brilliant way. Yes, completely brilliant. I really want to tune in for a second on Garcelle's line when she was like, just level with me here. Like, can you please just acknowledge, just give us something, acknowledge that this is human nature and Erica will not have it. And like, you know, if I was Garcelle, I honestly would say from now on, I'm not even getting involved because somehow Every time she tries to come at it from a good place with Erica, she's made to feel as though she's being intentionally hurtful. And I just don't think that's the case. I don't either. I also think Erica was really trying to gaslight them in this moment and try to make them feel like they are absolutely crazy and out of line. And this is so dramatic of them to think that they would at all be involved and make it about themselves. And Look, I do think that there's part of her that believes that, some part of her, of saying, how can you guys care so much about yourself? Look what I'm dealing with. I get it. That That's definitely fair. However, it's not so out of the question as she's making it, and she's trying to make them feel so bad that they're even second-guessing that when they shouldn't. And I think now getting the feedback from all of us who watch it of, no, you're right, of course, anyone would do that, that's so valid, must feel good because- 
they were clearly made to feel so bad by Erica. And it also must make Erica feel bad. I mean, she feels bad enough already. This just add this to the list that everyone agrees, of course. And if the tables were turned and Erica was sitting at the table with someone accused of this stuff, you don't think her hotshot lawyer husband would make her ask these questions or have something concerned about like this? No way. There's not a chance. The thing that I can't get over, and I said this, I think a few weeks ago, is like, the reason, if we want to believe Erica's story for a second, the reason she got herself into this entire mess was because of ignorance. So how can she be mad at these women for not wanting to be ignorant? It is like so unbelievably hypocritical. And I don't even think she recognizes the depth of her hypocrisy because she has such tunnel vision, which again, I get. But you know, a line that she says in the scene when she's like something to the effect of, I'll remember who supported me, like just know that I'll remember that, as if she was almost using that against them or almost threatening them. And it's like, what you don't understand is that support and curiosity are not mutually exclusive. And for you to think that they are is incredibly manipulative. Incredibly. And also it was like kind of a threat. Like, you know, let them let them think what they want or feel what they want. It doesn't need to be this big threat of like, when this is over, I'll deal with you then. Yeah. I mean, the the Honestly, I know I said earlier that the dynamic between Sutton and Erica is hard to stomach. I'm going to say it's even worse between Doreen and Erica. It is painful for me to watch. I can't put my finger on it and maybe we could discuss it and I could analyze it a little bit more, but it is so deeply awkward because one, we know that there's a deeper friendship that really does exist, but also it's like Dorit has not found her footing. And so it's basically this. It's it's not firm enough for it to stick and for her to be able to go up against Erica, but it's not soft enough for Erica's liking. I think she feels the need to put a lot of like bumpers and buffer around anything she says because she doesn't want it to be taken wrong, which inevitably will be. But And she's afraid of Erica, definitely afraid of Erica and definitely afraid of losing her friendship. And I also think she understands how the game kind of works and that she wants to stay really good friends with Rinna and Kyle and that she cares about them. And so if she goes against Erica, how does that kind of trickle down and affect her standing in the group? And what will that mean for her future? And, you you know, will they side with Erica? Will they not like it? Like there are a lot of other factors here. Yeah. Dorit also just is a terrible communicator when it comes to this kind of stuff. She's not good with confrontation. No, she's not. Okay. Moving on to kind of the third part of this, which is Kyle's involvement when it comes to Sutton and Erica. By the way, I know we're missing some shit. There's just no way we can get all of this into one episode. I'm going to make an analogy here, and I want to first see how this sits with you when I say it. To me, I think that you could equate Kyle to Sutton in this episode to Garcelle to Dorit at Kyle's Christmas party in terms of urging the other person to be more of a truth teller or to have more consistency to Erica that they had to the group in the moment. Yeah, I feel like that kind of set the precedent of like, we're holding each other accountable here. And this is not what you said you came here to do, or that's not what you said behind Erica's back. So let's be honest here. And I feel like that's an important thing. But I also think it got, I think with Dorit and Garcelle, when Garcelle was saying that's not what you said on Saturday night, it was such a night and day black and white difference where she was saying, you know, we don't, we believe you a hundred percent. We support you no matter what. Whereas the night before she was saying everything I've known about Erica is a lie. I can't believe she would do this, the victims, etc." Whereas with Kyle and Sutton, yes, was her tone maybe a little less forceful and, you know, here I go, I'm going to go after her as she was when they were at her house. 
Maybe, but I think she's allowed to change her tune. I think she's allowed to go a little softer and feel at the moment and change how she's feeling. Or she wasn't completely flip-flopping her perspective. And that was the main difference to me. And I, I get why Kyle called her out, but I also feel like it really wasn't that necessary because Sutton still sat down at the table, immediately brought it up, and in a way did what she set out to do. Yeah, I I understood where Kyle was coming from because Sutton had said to her directly, like, I am going to take the gloves off, basically. So I could understand her frustration. I just didn't appreciate the delivery because I felt like the crime didn't really fit the punishment. Like, I don't know why there was so much anger in Kyle's voice when she was coming for Sutton as if Sutton was acting like Dorit. She wasn't. Like, this is this is the issue. Everybody expects that people are going to be exactly the same way in front of Erica as they are alone. And that's not the case. They may say the same thing eventually, but of course you're going to say it in a little bit of a different way. Like you have to allow for a little bit of grace. And there was none, in my opinion. Kyle was giving Sutton no grace. And, and by the way, I didn't fully disagree with her because there were some things where Sutton could have just spit it out a little more. But God, Kyle was really gunning for her in a way that just seemed unfair. And it only made Erica increasingly more mad and upset because she was making it seem like what Sutton had said behind her back was so much worse and so much more terrible that she should be even more angry. And, you know, come on, you're not saying everything you said. And that just only made Erica feel like what was going on behind her back was much worse than what was being said to her face and making it out to be like, oh, you have no idea what she's saying behind closed doors. Like, you know, you think this is bad. When in reality, like, yeah, they were a little bit different, a little bit less aggression, but it was the same to, it was the same kind of overall outline of what she was feeling. This is the most important part because after they have that back and forth and then Erica says to her, you should not be saying things. And Sutton responds, and I quote, what have I said though, that I don't trust that hundred percent of what you've told us is not the truth. How can I believe every single thing? Like, that's it. Fucking checkmate. She said it. That is, that's the quote worst thing in the entire world for her to admit that she doesn't believe everything Erica said because in Erica's world right now, that's the ultimate act of betrayal. One, to believe it, but then on top of that, to outwardly say it, especially on camera, that you think there's any sort of untruths, that's like the worst thing in the world. So Sutton did it. No, she didn't do it in the way that Kyle would have liked her to. It was a little bit of a roundabout way, but she got there. And Sutton in her confessional said something that I think I said like a week or two ago, which was, you don't have to believe your friends 100%. Sometimes you just have to trust your own gut, which was our conversation about, is your default supposed to be, I believe anything you say just because you're my friend? No, you don't have to just be all in and believe the story just because someone's your friend. Like, I guess that maybe is the nice thing to do and you want to believe them and you want to think you're friends with good people or that they wouldn't lie to you. But just because someone happens to be your friend doesn't mean you have to blindly agree with them. And that's exactly what she was doing. And that's fine. Again, like Garcelle was saying too, is that not human nature to sort of question whatever's in front of you and see how it could affect you? Of course it is. Right. Like, why was there no acknowledgement of human nature? Garcelle was making the most rational point of the entire night. And it was so not only lost on Erica, but it was like lost on the rest of the group to be able to explain that in any sort of 
an understandable way. Like to me, Garcelle was the only one this entire dinner that said something where I was like, yes, that is a human reaction. Like, thank you for explaining that in terms of the way that we would communicate with our friends. Whereas like Dorit can't get a word out of to save her life. You know, she makes it into this whole thing. Sun is struggling a bit. Kyle is so aggressive. Erica's like a fucking serial killer. And Garcelle's like, no guys, let's just talk about the human nature aspect of it. That's why I was so connected to her this episode, I felt. Right, because that's kind of the one thing they all have in common is regardless if they really came to her and asked all the questions, they all in their own ways on a scale thought about themselves, whether they just asked their husbands, they asked their lawyer friends, like every single one of them is quote guilty of that at a certain point. So of course it's human nature. It wasn't just Sutton being overdramatic. They all independently found a way to not make it about themselves, but protect themselves and wonder, wait a minute, okay, I feel so bad for my friend. What can I do for her? But also, hmm, back of my mind, how will this sort of circle back to me since I am in her web in a way? And by the way, again, to highlight the contrast between real life and reality television, if this was a normal group of friends, however many of them there are, let's say six, seven, they wouldn't be getting hours and hours of confessionals where producers are asking them targeted questions about how they think about this case in terms of them. That's abnormal, right? So like, of course, there has to be a little bit of a self-centered motive here because they're filming a fucking reality show. And Erica, who was the best actress of anybody, somehow conveniently forgets that when it comes to the rest of them. It only applies to her. She's allowed to bring the drama and bring the you know harsh one-liners because it makes great television. And I'm appreciative of that. Genuinely, that's not me coming down on her. I don't want her to change a thing. But it's like, let's keep that same energy when other people have to talk about them from their perspective. Yes. One million percent yes. This episode, just like as we're talking about it and when I was hearing you talk, I can't believe we got this. Like the amount of people that texted us like, holy shit, this episode needs an Emmy and this is what House House is all about. We're right. No, this was really phenomenal. And honestly, if I didn't know that we had Salt Lake City coming up with similar legal drama, I would probably be at this point in the season starting to come down on like the sadness of it ending, but I, I'm not because I'm right there onto the next one. It's just, it's so good. Their dynamics are amazing. I'm obsessed with this entire cast. I think it's a perfect cast and everyone's excitement for this episode and then freaking out after it was completely warranted. And I loved every millisecond of it. Yeah. Same. I mean, I don't care when the freakouts are warranted or not. Cause like Anybody that wants to freak out about Bravo and doesn't find that that to be annoying, like I automatically like you, but it's even better when it's warranted. Yes. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. 
For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Similar to Beverly Hills, the way that we need to start Potomac is with something that actually came out after the fact that really helps to inform last week's episode. Yes? Yes. I don't know if you guys saw this. We'll put the link in the description. But Wendy was on the Jasmine brand IGTV Live. And Jasmine asks her what she thought about Robin kind of seeming like she didn't know about the rumor. And Wendy says, and I quote, I found out about the rumor from Robin. Robin texted me and said, girl, so-and-so blog said this, and they keep on talking crap about us. What type of lawyer is Eddie so we can see if we can get the blog shut down? AKA, Robin was well aware of this rumor ahead of time, and her reaction was just completely bullshit. So why in that moment did Wendy not say, you know the rumor, you are the one who told me about it, like don't act dumb. That's what I don't get. I think she was kind of so upset and could not see in the moment like that that was that was low priority. She was so pissed off at Giselle and annoyed about Ashley and that whole thing that it didn't come up and maybe she didn't hear Robin saying that at the time. But it just seems like a little bit out of character of her, especially that she already did break the fourth wall, that she wouldn't bring up something like that. I don't know. Like I obviously have the same question, but to me, I think that it was definitely more of like a producer mind thing. I don't know if production intervened or if Wendy was like, I can't say this because it completely would have seemingly taken away from the whole storyline. Like I I just don't think she felt at the moment that she could have done it. But by the way, now that we know this, this probably also contributes to why she was gunning so hard for Robin in that scene last week. Right. But it just feels like also why would Robin choose to say that as her defense or even use a defense at all when Wendy will be able to call her out in one second to say, yes, you did know about it. Don't act dumb. I think Robin's going to say, I was drunk. I didn't remember that. You know, there's so many things said and she'll cover her ass because at the end of the day, Giselle and Ashley are the ones who actually brought it up and caused a whole stir about it. And Robin did not Yeah. Listen, I like Robin, but you don't forget that. That's bullshit. Oh my God. Of course not. But you know what? (laughs) The housewives love to claim they forget. Of course. Okay. So let's get into this actual episode. Yes? Yes. So when Wendy, Escala, and Karen leave, the only reason I want to mention this scene is because this is when they're having the conversation about Wendy, whether she's sensitive or not. And Giselle basically says, you know, she should probably not be in this group if she's going to crumble every time. Important to note because this is the exact conversation that makes Mia think that she said Wendy was a weak bitch. So like have this in the back of your mind as we go through this episode. It's in there. By the way, like not for nothing, what did you think about this? Because I I I would say that throughout this entire fight, I've definitely been more on Wendy's side than I have been on Giselle's. That being said, I don't necessarily feel as though Giselle was so out of line in talking to Candace and the rest of the group about it. Do you think I'm wrong? No. And I don't think Giselle's point was wrong. I think there was a really smart perspective for her to bring to the table. Like, well, you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Like, this is kind of what we do. It's been done to all of us. And if you can't play, like, get out of the game. And it almost makes Wendy look bad. Like, oh, you can't handle it. And I think Giselle is so messy, but she's so fucking smart that she knows that that's a good angle and she knows that it's true and that people probably couldn't disagree with her and maybe she's too sensitive to be around us. 
Now, I also think that's something that like people say when they just are being mean and people are more sensitive than them. So I, from Wendy's perspective, I think I would be upset hearing that too. But from a housewife's point of view, it was a good point to make because it made everyone look at Wendy in a more negative light. Yeah, it was like a kind of a smart move. Although in general, I don't like when sensitivity is like weaponized. Right. Okay. Interesting here. We always forget that Ascala came into the group as Robin's friend. And it's been, I guess you could say a little bit ambiguous because it's kind of like when Mia comes in as Karen's friend. I don't really know how it all started, although it did seem more like she did have their relationship with Robin ahead of time. So I think the reason that I'm liking Ascala more and more is because when they're alone at the cottage, she's not afraid to say to them, you know, yeah, Robin's a completely different person when she's around Giselle and their loyalty is unmatched. And like, she doesn't feel like she can't engage in a conversation about Robin just because Robin quote brought her into the group. And I really appreciate that. Well, I also think Robin had brought her in and it's kind of left her out to dry. Like she is so much more, concerned with being with Giselle like they're kind of the duo where she lets Ascala be in the other house she doesn't really care about her in that way I think she feels like oh Ascala's comfortable I don't need to worry about her anymore where maybe Ascala wanted a little bit more of that hand-holding of you're bringing me into your friend group I expect you to kind of stick by my side right I guess that all depends like what was their relationship prior which we never will get the answer to no but I do think it was genuine, definitely more genuine than Karen and Mia, because she wasn't on as a full-time cast member, and the way that they brought her in, it just feels actually more real. But at this point, I don't know what their relationship looks like. I mean, if it's able to be thrown out this fast over something like I just said, it, it can't have been that strong of a friendship. Yeah. Also, one point that I want to make is that the loyalty that Giselle and Robin have and have developed over the years, which I think a lot of people look at as almost negative now in terms of housewives because they feel like it's blinding them, that is the type of relationship that Erica expects from every single one of the women at the table. I just want to point that out. That's a perfect, like to me, a tangible representation of what she is expecting. Yes, it totally is. Okay. Next day when Wendy comes to the pool and Giselle, you know, basically says, I want to talk to you whenever you want to talk. Wendy's not having it. She is like had it with Giselle. She has had it. And I think at this point, it's just getting old. Like she's just over it. She's over it. And then again, I feel like we're doing a lot of fourth wall breaks here, but <laughs> she, spoiler alert, she can't be over it. Like that's the thing. I, I just imagine this must be so exhausting to be on a show where like no matter how annoyed or genuinely hurt you are with somebody else, you know that you're going to have to have a confrontation with them because that's literally your job. Right. Like in her at dream world, I think she would have just not engage with Giselle for the foreseeable future. Right. Like Wendy would have just said, I I'm over her. She's not a good person. She clearly doesn't like me. I'm going to separate myself and push this under the rug. Wendy knows that she has to confront her. This has to be a conversation and that she has to spend a lot more time with her. So the longer they're around each other, of course, it's going to come up. And when she's basically ignoring her, it couldn't be more clear. Totally. Okay. Quick, we're just going to Surrey County for Karen's ambassador induction. I just think this is classic Karen Huger. Like, it is such a sweet little nice ceremony. You know, she loves it. I think she feels like she's being crowned Miss America. It was great. And the fact that she makes her announcement about the LaDame candles on the podium there to the small group of about 10 people, 
as if it was like the state of the union. And then the fucking three wick versus one wick debate about Wendy's candles. Like this is gold. No, the reason that Karen is such a superior housewife is because when the producers ask why she, you know, didn't say anything to Wendy when Wendy came to her house about building a candle business, it's not Karen's response. It's the level of conviction with which she responds when she says, Listen, we were there to talk about Wendy's candles, not mine. Right. And that's it. She End believes of it. No, she like that's like really genuinely what she thinks. And, right. She's not bullshitting. And I love Karen and Luann have the same like hint of delusional, but also just so proud of themselves that makes them so fun to watch. And we get to just like egg them on and be fans of them. And that just adds fuel to the fire. And it's just, it is absolute perfection. And I will be buying a three wick LaDom candle at the minute they come out. Well, I'm, I obviously will buy that for you for your birthday without you even knowing. I also I think we have to try Wendy's too because I you know who am I to say no to a one wick? Right, like I don't want to all of a sudden act like I'm above a one wick. I've been using a one wick my whole life. No, a three wick is bougie. Like I- I'm gonna give both a fair shot. Yeah, we have to. We will. We will. <laughs> Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends. So I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. You're kind of killing two birds with one stone. Then the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. On the car ride home, when Mia basically tells Wendy that Giselle called her a weak bitch, which as we know, didn't happen verbatim. Okay. This is classic housewives. It's nothing crazy. Like I'm not faulting Mia. I get it. But she is really trying to insert herself as this like instigator here. And she is doing it almost to the point where it's becoming performative in my opinion. This is housewives 101. You took the words right out of my mouth. You can't put words in other people's mouth knowing that it's not what they said. It's one thing if you really think in your soul, like this is what she said and you just maybe forgot or heard wrong, but to try and condense what she said and sum it up in different words, you can't do that because that will always create a problem. So she never said the words weak bitch out of her mouth. And if that's going to be what the problem is, you are now creating a problem because yeah, she probably wouldn't have loved what she really did say in plain words, but the words weak bitch are definitely a lot stronger than what was actually said. And that is just, I think, Mia being kind of new to the equation because in, quote, real life, you can kind of summarize what people say. But this, everyone is clinging on to every last word, especially when the tensions are as high as they already are. 
Exactly. It's because so many housewives, this happens all the time in so many franchises, they don't consider forgetting a feasible option. Like they don't think that they can just say, you know what? I can't remember exactly what she said, but it had this general vibe. It's it's almost as if it needs to be verbatim or nothing. And you're always going to screw yourself. This happens all the time. I can think of a million examples. Yes. I was just rewatching some old OC and People were they were saying that Shannon said that Emily Simpson's husband reminds her of her husband being abusive. And she never said the word abusive. But when you hear the word abusive, it comes across a lot worse than it really was. And that becomes the whole drama is about that word. And Shannon never said it. It just got lost in translation. And it was a, a game of broken telephone. And that's just kind of what happens. And then the fight ends up becoming about something that actually wasn't said, but said in lesser words that were a little bit softer. Yes, that was a really good example, and it just fed my need for an example, so thank you. You're welcome. Okay, when they're playing tennis, we don't have to really get into it other than it just goes to show Robin's lingering frustration towards Wendy, because like at this point, she's not having her at the wedding, you know, the whole nine. And when they sit down at dinner and Robin starts it off with this FaceTime with Juan, this, she lost me here. This was so obnoxious. Okay, it was so obnoxious, but I kind of loved it. Because I hated it. I hated it. It was so rude and it was like so fucked up. But I like seeing Robin kind of take control and for Giselle to not be the one to speak up for her in the equation and that she was just kind of doing this all on her own and having her own independent fight with Wendy now, even though it obviously branched off a fight with Giselle and with Ashley. I just, I don't know. And you know what? As a person, I didn't love it. As a friend, I didn't love it. But as a viewer, I absolutely adored it. <laughs> I, I hated it as all, but like fine. <laughs> okay. This listen. Again, this whole time we've definitely been agreeing more with Wendy than with Robin. However, when Robin confronts her and is like, Okay, are you gonna ignore me as well or you're just ignoring Giselle? And her response is like, No, I'm not gonna ignore you. And I quote, and if in the course of my conversation with Giselle I did anything to offend you, then I apologize. Robin's reaction here was totally warranted of like, listen, (laughs) you cannot pull the, if I did anything, you came for my throat. Right. Like, oh, if you kind of got bumped and tapped along the way, I'm really sorry that you got involved. Like, no, you were fully involved and I'm the one who involved you. Right. And my thing is like, Wendy didn't, in my opinion, didn't even necessarily need to apologize for everything she did to Robin. It was just like, if you're going to apologize, apologize for the accurate thing, you know? Yeah. I am glad though that Wendy just squashed it right there and didn't keep it lingering because I think she intends to keep this fight and kind of overall feud with Giselle going on for a lot longer. So if she can just kind of put a pin in it with Robin for the moment, it was it was definitely the right move. Like she didn't need to in that moment apologize. And I think Robin wasn't expecting it. I think she was kind of wanting to get into a whole thing about it. So then when Wendy hits her with the, yeah, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. Even though it wasn't a great apology, I think it caught Robin off guard. I think so too. And in this next part, my favorite line maybe of the episode is when Wendy says to Robin, you know how hard motherhood is. I thought you'd be the one clapping the hardest for me that I did something for myself. And again, like, you know, Robin doubles down that it's not about that. It's about her changing her personality. But I I will maintain this like throughout. They've set this up so poorly that you can't backtrack on something like this. You can try to correct yourself and you can try to say that it wasn't what you meant. But the second that 
Giselle led with, I've seen more of your boobs this year than I have all of last year, it it's over. And in my opinion, that's not Wendy being unwilling to accept new information. I think anybody would react in the same way that she did. I think the problem is when Robin says that point of view of like, no, I really did see this change. It does sound so valid on its own in a vacuum. Because if they had had that same perspective, right? Like, let's say they really did feel that. They could have gone about it in such a different way. It would have been valid. So when she says, like, the baseline hypothesis of what they were thinking, it is acceptable. But then when you add in the details, like what you just said, and how they went about it and talked about her behind her back, it went such a different route. So you can't just keep saying that because you think it sounds okay. Right. Like the the damage has been done and you should have thought about that before you started the first time. But in Robin's, I guess, defense or explanation, she wasn't the one that started it so poorly. It was Giselle. Right. Like, and if you really, truly in your core believe this, you could have come to me privately, one-on-one, on or off camera, said you really felt you were worried about me, explained what the differences you saw in me were, and brought things to me that you as a friend, we're concerned about not whatever this bullshit was the way that it went down. Right. Okay. The weak bitch thing, like we know what happens here that didn't happen. Mia gets caught in it. The entire table basically erupts at Mia because finally there is one consistent like villain here because nobody wants the person that makes things get lost in translation. However, I really want to talk about this line. When Wendy says to Giselle that she doesn't care if she apologizes because, quote, being in a committed relationship, having his last name is vindication enough. There's nothing that matters coming from you. She is removing the power from Giselle. Here's my thing. I genuinely was watching this and I was celebrating it. I was like, fuck yeah, you are standing up to her. You're holding your own. You're defending your marriage. Like, I I honestly, truly was so happy watching this go down. And especially because Giselle pulls so much shit behind the scenes that it's nice to have someone call her out, even though I still love Giselle as a housewife and like never want her to leave. All of that being said, I think this maybe was heightened for me in the Potomac after show on Bravo when Wendy gives this read. I need to read it verbatim. I'm sure some of you may have seen it. Quote, The only person who's weak is the woman that goes back to a man who's never been faithful to her since day one, goes back to a man who has fathered multiple children on her, who tries to systematically tear down people's families because she doesn't have one of her own. So when we're talking about weak and then we look in the dictionary, you see the face of Giselle Bryant. That's a weak bitch. Next question. On one hand, I'm like, holy shit, that is what I would like to call a Phaedra read. Like that is some shit that you only would see at a reunion coming from Phaedra to Kenya. Like I I get it. Yeah. At the same time, what I really don't like about this, and it's not just Potomac, this happens throughout so many franchises. Here, Wendy is doing the same thing that Giselle, I felt, was doing recently of like, you have so many accurate critiques that you could give of Giselle, things that she does wrong about herself as a person and the way that she handles things. Why is the ultimate insult about something that her man did? It is, it's like, on one hand, I want to cheer for Wendy. So I'm like, fuck yeah, you just killed that. That was iconic. At the same time, I'm like, God, we're so deep in here that we're not understanding that it's doing the exact thing we talk so much about not doing, which is blaming the woman for the man's actions. Like the the insult of the century can't be that your husband cheated on you. It, that's That's terrible. Like, why are we doing this to each other as women when there are real insults that you could give about somebody's character? It's so upsetting to me. And it's not, please, it's not just Potomac. They all do this. Yeah, I think she felt like it was fair because 
Giselle was going after her marriage. So she's saying, okay, who are you to judge when you keep going back to someone? But you're right. This is the conversation we had, I think, last week or the week before about Wendy is now just stooping down to Giselle's level and meeting her where she is and doing exactly what Giselle did to her. And that doesn't make it okay. So you're right. There are way worse things she could say about Giselle, but I just think she knows that this will cut her where it hurts and get her point across stronger and kind of flip the mirror on Giselle's relationship as as opposed to her own relationship. It will. And that's why she's right. She knows her audience, but it's upsetting also on the flip side that that would be the most upsetting thing for Giselle to hear. Like it's just in the process of doing it, we are completely removing the responsibility from the man. Yeah. I don't like that we have created this situation where in which this is the absolute worst thing you could say to a person and it gets the loudest applause. And, and the weak bitch comment was nothing about Wendy and her marriage. It was about Wendy and her position in the group and how she receives information. It wasn't that she's weak because of something with Eddie. So it was like jumping that line to then talk about her marriage in terms of weak bitch was like, okay, maybe these things aren't equal. Right, right. Yes. Yes. See, okay, that's, thank you. Thank you for saying that. That's why I felt it was unfair because as fucked up as Giselle can be and is, and I very much was more so team Wendy here, the weak bitch comment had nothing to do with it, yet the the man thing is always inserted. Right. Oh, I'm I feel exhausted. Real good. Yeah, I feel <laughs> real good. Anything else from Potomac we are missing? No, just another fucking great week. I always have the highest expectations and they're always met. Yeah. I'm really sad we're going to leave this house though. It's so nice. I know. Okay. This season of Real Hazards in New York that feels like it's been going on for ages has finally come to an end. And I have to say, call me crazy, this episode was my favorite of the season. I laughed a lot. No, this was a really fun episode. Like, I was genuinely happy to watch them enjoying each other's company so intensely. And they were really making me laugh. I know we said it before. They were really making me laugh. I also have breaking news, which is an update from what we spoke about last week. Bryce Sander tweeted today, just heard, Real Housewives of New York reunion is on. Details to come at a later date. Yeah, which we knew. We said that last week. There's no world in which it wasn't going to happen. I know. I really thought this was definitely the closest we've ever gotten to there not being one, though. But there's just no way and no way that Bravo would be able to admit that the season was so bad it didn't deserve a reunion. And honestly, I'm glad. I think they will kind of address it head on. Why was this such a hard and weird and different season to watch and what made it this way? And I don't know. Maybe we'll get something good out of it. I'm trying to be positive. Also, by the way, like, I agree that there needs to be a reunion. But it also would, in my opinion, it wouldn't have been fair to Ebony or any first season housewife because one, I feel like they're entitled to that experience, but also it it subconsciously creates this narrative that like they are the thing that made it bad and that's why it's not because they're the only thing that was different. And like, that's just simply not the case. Like in my opinion, Ebony was the best part of this entire season. Oh my God. And it was never more apparent than last night. She was the star of the show. Right, exactly. It's one thing if the cast had never changed, that's fine. But if you ever add one person, two people, or make any sort of changes, automatically it, it subconsciously puts the blame on whatever that moving person is. And I, I wouldn't have liked that to happen. It wouldn't have been right. No, and I think that this will kind of smooth everything out. Yeah. 
Anything else you'd like to mention from this episode? Just the fucking Harry Dubin of it all. I will never, ever, ever, ever get sick of it. Wait. Oh my God. I forgot to say this to you. Did you see the Dumas thing today? No. What? Harry Dubin spotted leaving Sonia's apartment. Oh my God. I saw it leaving the townhouse. Yes. I I was scared to believe it was true because I don't know if it's true, but- No. Multiple people. It wasn't just one person. Multiple people submitted it. Oh my God. They just can't quit him. No, not they. Sonia. Sonia can't. I, I know, wish but like, would... Ramona will never get over her crush. Like he's like the it, like cool fuckboy player in high school that everyone wants and will never be able to say no to. I know. And it's so funny because I feel like us, not like me and you, like us as experienced New York watchers are just like, are you guys fucking kidding me with this guy? Like you can do so much better. Like we don't get the appeal. No, and even Ebony in last night's episode was like, I think Ramona's even richer than him because they were all just trying to figure out what the appeal is. And sometimes, like, you can't see it. You just have to be in it to know. And I can't blame them. Yeah. There are those people. Like, I can think of very specific guys from college where it's like, if you're explaining to somebody, they wouldn't get it. But when you're in their presence, there's just something about the way that they communicate. Again, I never sensed that with Harry, but I'm willing to give Sonya the benefit of the doubt. Right. And like, if you're not in the group or in that scene, it's really hard to understand. Yeah. I just can't believe we also had his ex-wife on the show at one point. Like this is just it's just too good. I hope he's getting a cut of the of the checks. No, he has to be. Also, <laughs> I I know that when we just said that a second ago of like the vibe, I have to imagine if you're listening to this, you are thinking of someone whether it's a girl or a guy or just somebody that you know that you could never communicate why their vibe is attractive and it's so goddamn frustrating. It's like it's it's the same thing to the meme of it's like I promise he looks better in person when you're trying to show somebody an Instagram picture. Yeah, and also just like there's someone who you care about what they think and they have a certain position in a group or a, a social scene that you just fucking care about and that you don't know why. And from the outside looking in, no one will understand it. Yeah. I was about to get real Evan Hansen there when you started at the outside looking in. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my God, one more thing. Sorry. Okay. I know, we don't really recap it because you just can't recap it. But I am like a diehard million dollar listing New York and LA fan and I never miss an episode. And there was some drama between Josh Flagg and Frederick on Instagram this week. LA million dollar listing premieres tonight it's an amazing episode but basically to summarize it really quickly josh flag left his old real estate group and is moving to douglas element which is where most of them are in some branch and the news was supposed to break in an exclusive yesterday but industry trade magazine started to pick it up and there were rumors about it and it was going around that flag was leaving and going to element before the actual story broke so on josh flag's comments frederick commented like he's so happy for him and flag went off on him like you're phony like fuck you only someone with a small dick would break this news long story short apparently frederick was the one who kind of spilled the beans and put it out there before flag could and sort of stole his thunder and they were not happy about it and tracy and altman were all coming to his defense in the comment section and i just loved it i so believe that Frederick was the one who like leaked it or maybe assisted in that. But do you think that Josh's comments were said like with a comedic edge or do you think he was genuinely pissed? Like was that some Jerry Springer shit going down in the comment section or they were heightening it? No, like I actually think he was that upset. You guys have to go look and I'll put the link to this comment in our description so you could see it. But I really think that they were that angry because it only went down in the course of a couple of days and Frederick really 
does get people angry like that. So I don't know. It was just wild and also so on brand for everyone involved. I also think it was real because it's not just like it's a show thing. Like this is a huge deal for his own career. Yes. And they're not, I don't know if they're filming right now. And yeah, it, it just, it was really a big deal. And I bet Flag was so pissed when he wasn't the one who was able to break the news because Frederick couldn't keep his mouth shut and probably selfishly wanted to be the one to have the news and give someone or start the rumor about this exclusive about his agency. I very much understand that frustration, assuming this is all true, by the way. I don't Me think too. he's overreacting. And it's also pretty on brand for Frederick. I love him, but he just, it just is on par with anything else he does. Totally. Okay, I think okay. now finally that's all. Okay, we love you guys so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for letting us do this. And we will see you next week. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like, You shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.